0: Back in January of this year, Christina and I, before I got off to Rwanda on my five-week trip, had an opportunity to get away to the middle Florida Keys, a place that belongs to someone in the family. And so we got kind of away for vacation as well as for a kind of a study leave. I did a lot of work on the outlines I was going to be teaching while I was in Rwanda. So we arrived in Marathon, cranked the pool up to 95, and just kind of settled in for a few days to be able to rest and relax. And while we were there... The next-door neighbors, who were renting a home for, like, three months, invited us over for, you know, late in the afternoon on a, I forget what day of the week it was, for for just, like, for some crackers and cheese and, you know, something to drink and that kind of thing. And I think they thought we were there for a long time, and they were trying to be neighborly, and I think they were a little disappointed when we found out we weren't going to be there for ten days and then out of there, six days and then out of there. But anyways, we had a nice visit with them that afternoon, and they were a couple of retired school teachers from New Jersey. And uh you know, as you go through the conversation it always comes, Well, you know, what do you do? And I said, Well, I, you know, I pastor a church. And he said, well, you know, tell me a little bit about that. I said, well, you know, we're pastoring this church in Sterling, Massachusetts. And it was a church that was begun back in 2002 and et cetera. And, and, and almost immediately he stopped me. He says, how'd you do that? He said, we belong to this church in our town for ages. I believe it was a Methodist church. And He said, and, and our church has just been dwindling. He says, now, it, he says, now it's almost impossible. To ke- almost, it's just a struggle to keep the doors open, let alone to be grown. How'd you, how did you grow a church, you know, in the 21st century? You know, and I was just ready to lean back and say, well, you know, they just have great pastoral leadership and preaching. You know? <laughs> but because I cannot tell a lie, you know, I told them the truth, you know. And, and you could certainly point to some things. I mean, I, certainly our, our worship is a little different than probably they experience. We have an emphasis more on scriptural teaching than on tradition. And the list could kind of just go on and on. But, but really, ultimately, it's a God thing. And I really told him, I said, you know, really, the only explanation I could really give you that would be absolutely true is that it's been a God thing. You know, I think as the disciples pondered Jesus' final commission to them, that they were supposed to go out and make disciples of all nations, that they were supposed to be witnesses, not only in Jerusalem and Judea, but also in Samaria to the othermost parts of the earth. I'm sure that as they were thinking through this, and it finally dawned on them that God had really asked them to change the world in the name of Christ, it quickly dawned on them that it needed to be a God thing if it was going to happen. We've been in a journey, this is our second week of the journey, of trying to figure out what it is that God uses on a regular basis to change the world through the church. I don't think if you take the Scripture seriously, there's any denying the fact that God expects to change the world through His people. The commission to make disciples of all nations still stands. Our role of being witnesses, not only in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities and state, but in our nation, to our enemies and around the world, still stands. And so we have kind of settled in on Acts chapter 2 to look at what the church did instinctively to fulfill this commission. Here they were, just a small band of believers, still under threat from the religious leaders, now endowed with the Holy Spirit, given the power and the understanding to to do what it is that God has called them to do. We read in chapter 2 of Acts, the book of Acts, and it's on page 926 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. We see what the people of God did instinctively as a part of their hunger, of their journey of being the instrument that God uses to change the world. And here's the words that we read, beginning with the 41st verse. To those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone. Many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone who had need. And every day... They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. May God add his blessing to the reading of his Word. I think I can come up with no better scriptural description of what it means to change the world in the name of Christ and the fact that the Lord would be adding to our number every day. Now, as we look at this text, we see what the church did instinctively as a part of their desire to fulfill this commission to change the world. And there's some personal essentials to this. And we haven't been talking about those in these series. They're kind of assumed for us. But these personal essentials are, first of all, commitment. You know, they met together. They were devoted to meeting together on a daily basis. There was genuine commitment. If the individual pieces of the body of Christ aren't committed, the church is going to change nothing. Secondly, there's a hunger for God. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to prayer. They had a hunger for God. I mean, if you're, if you're satisfied, saying, well, you know, I, I've got all of God that I want, you're not going to be a part of the team that God uses to change the world. There has to be this continual hunger. But what we've been really focusing on in this series is is what do we need to do corporately to add to our faith, to be the kind of people that God uses to change the world. You know, in the spirit of Second of Peter, you know, make every effort to add to your faith. And we can see as you look through this passage of scriptures that one of the things that stands out is that what they did corporately together was that they engaged, as we looked at last week, in what I've come to call bi-level spiritual community. You know, they met in the temple, and they met in homes. They met as a large group together as the whole family of God. And then they met in small groups, clusters, where they really got to know one another. And last week, as we looked at this, the, we understood that as, if God's going to work through us to be a church that changes our region for Christ, we have to be a people who participate in bi-level fellowship or spiritual community. We have to, as we've called it, attend one. We have to be faithful in our commitment to being together with the whole body of Christ for worship. And we have to be committed to being in small communities with one another, studying the Word of God and, and feeding it into each other's lives. We need to attend one. Here at Hope Chapel, we call those primarily life groups but there's many ways to be engaged in small group spiritual community small group bible study it could be a, a workplace bible study it could be a men's group that you're a part of that meets early in the in on the morning during the week it could be lots of different forms it could even be a Sunday school class or or a ministry team that that transforms into that but we want to encourage you to get involved with something and offer that possibility to others as well and we've begun this journey by really seeking god's face about these things and i would invite you to this week to join us like you did last week to pray through the add one prayer guide it's a different set of prayers this week as we focus on service rather than on by-level spiritual community many of you are continuing to join in, in in some form of fasting to go along with our prayer I've, you know, whether it be you're joining us in the Daniel fast and there's information about that out in the lobby or whether you're going to fast from in some other form, maybe from entertainment or whatever works for you. But connecting with God at a deeper level, making adjustments to your life is a symptom that you're asking God to make adjustments to your spiritual life. But today we see a different addition that they made to their, practice, to their life. They served one another. You know, the apostles showed up every single day and taught. They served. People opened up their homes every single day, and people came in, and they served. They looked around. They saw needs. They went out and sold stuff so they could raise up the money to be able to meet that need. They served one another. I will tell you right now, and this, this isn't really fancy. It's not revolutionary. It's stuff that we know, but God always uses the faithful service of his people in his name to change the world. And without serving, there is no way to change the world. The kingdom is not about us. The kingdom is about God working through us to change the world. It's about service. Now, just some foundations for this. You know, some of us, you know, we... You, you look over in the Book of Genesis, and God created Adam and Eve, and He puts them in the garden. And sometimes we have this understanding that it was like, you know, just a, an endless club med vacation. You know, they were just going to sit by the beach and drink lemonade, and the gorilla going to bring them bananas to eat, and they were never going to have to work. That, that's not at all what was going to be the plan. You know, we read in Genesis one twenty six that God said to him, says, you know, I want you to to be fruitful and multiply, and subdue the earth, and rule over the fish of the sea, and rule over the birds of the air, rule over the the, the, the animals on the land. God had work for them to do from the very beginning of creation. It's been scripted into our people as the image being made in the image of God, that God has made us to make a contribution to this world. He wants us to make a contribution. That's what we're designed for. When God recreates us in Christ, he not only has designed us to make a contribution to our world, but he has redesigned us to serve in his name. There's a freshness with this new person that we receive in Jesus Christ. When we're born again, as Jesus describes in John chapter 3, and we receive this new nature from God, God redesigns us. He rescripts us, and into us, as we created in the image of Christ, we are designed to serve. You know, Jesus said, I, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And he says, In the same way I, as the Father sent me, I send you. He says, I've made you to go out and serve. I want to pick apart some truths for us this morning about this idea of serving. Because what I'm challenging you to do today is to find a ministry and plug in. Out in the lobby, we've got displays going on. We, we have a long list of, of, of ministry opportunities in the life of our church. So, so you wouldn't have to stand there and look through the whole list. We've got it set up in three different monitors so you can see different parts of the list at the same time. But my challenge to you today is to make the commitment to find a way to serve in the name of Christ if you are not. That's my challenge to you. And I want to base my challenge off of 1 Peter chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me. 1 Peter's over towards the back of your Bibles. <clears throat> the text that we're going to be looking at is on page 1031, 1031. Peter here is writing to a group of believers who are being persecuted. And difficulty's coming. And they can see the growing darkness out on the horizon. And they know the storm is coming. And so he's been writing to them about a number of things. And here in the fourth chapter, beginning with the seventh verse, we find these words. Now the end of all things is near. Let me define that for you this way. I mean, certainly there was, a, there was an eschatological anticipation. People in the days of the New Testament church thought that Jesus might come back at every mo- any moment. We've kind of grown numb to that. The scripture kind of tells us that we should be on guard all the time, but we've kind of grown numb to that. Our sense of anticipation has gone down. But let me at least characterize this statement as saying this, live your life with an awareness that there's a world to come. Every single one of us ought to be living our lives with an awareness that there's another world to come. He says, therefore, be clear-headed and disciplined for prayer, those personal essentials. Above all, keep your love for one another at full strength, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Attend one. Being connected with other believers is expressed through love as a verb, not just a feeling, but a verb. Then he says, be hospitable. Then he goes on to say, based on the gift they have received everyone should use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, his speech should be like the oracles of God. If anyone serves, his service should be from the strength God provides, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, verse 10 begins with an assumption of some spiritual truths that are really kind of laid out for us a little bit more specifically in other places. And one of those is that when you and I become children of God, we receive the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter eight, verse nine. I'm just going to read this for you very quickly. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since the spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, does not belong to Christ is what he means. The statement here is, is that as a part of this experience that we have of faith, when we acknowledge our sin to God, we confess it to him. We ask for His forgiveness, we confess to God our sincerity in wanting to change, to repent, and we place our faith in Christ as our Savior and Lord. It says the Spirit of God enters into us, and every single believer has the spirit, the Holy Spirit within them. with that, every believer has a spiritual gift or gifts to use in the names of God in the name of God. I've listed for you there, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let me just read this quickly for you. It says, A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person to provide, to produce what is beneficial. Every single person who has the Spirit has a manifestation of it. He goes on to describe some of those. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, the performing of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, different kinds of languages, the interpretation of languages, and the message of knowledge but the one in the same spirit is active in all these distributing to each one as he will. Every single one of us who has a genuine faith of God, genuine faith in God through Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit comes a gift, comes a means for us to use to contribute to change in the world for Christ. Every single one of us. It's not restricted by age, it's not restricted by your circumstances. Sometimes we think we get to a place, well, you know, I'm just too old to do this, or I've been been there, done that, or I'm too young to do this. None of that applies. You know, I mean, there's a way you, if God has given you a gift, you have a way to find a way to express it, no matter what circumstance of life you're in. I'll give you an example. Sitting on the back row over here is Helen McBrain. Lovely woman, somewhat advanced in years, right, Helen? Somewhat, just somewhat advanced in years. (laughs) Someone, you know, doesn't drive anymore. Helen has an incredible ministry of writing notes of encouragement to other people. Find a way to express that gift of encouragement. It's a wonderful, there's a way to contribute because God has invested in you. And I want to tell you what, what Peter says here is that every single one of us are responsible to be good managers of the varied grace of God. What that means is that every single one of us is accountable for the way we use our gifts. Now, we could do a lot of end-time things. What does that mean in the judgment seat of Christ? And what size crowns we're going to get? And all these kinds of things that people get, love to get into. Let's not even go there. Let me make this statement to you. When God has given a gift to you to use, to make a difference with Him, for Him through the church to change the world, and He expects you to be a good manager, and He's holding you accountable to do so, If you do not, it affects your spiritual experience. At a minimum, right now, it affects your spiritual experience. You cannot be a thriving, growing, joyful believer if you are not using the gifts that God has given you to make a difference in the kingdom. If, you know, One of the worst things believers do, they get, they get into a crisis mode in their life and, and they experience all kinds of pressure from the outside that creates depression. And what they do is they withdraw from everything, including their ministry. And, 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 and they just kind of disconnect from the body. And all they do is add spiritual depression to worldly depression because they're not expressing the gift that God's put in them. God, God holds us accountable. He expects us to be good managers of the very grace of God. Now, the body of Christ, the church needs every gift that God has given, you know, there aren't any spare parts in the body of Christ. You know, I've lifted a passage you've, for you here from, from 1 Corinthians 12 again running on and it talks about the way the fact that one part of the body can't say to them well you know you're the hand and I'm only the foot and so I'm not as important or you're the eye and I'm only the toe and so you know and, and, and that's, none of that happens he, he's saying every single part of the body of Christ is essential if the church is going to be the thriving force to change the world in the name of Christ literally our unity our working together in the giftedness that God has given us is a way that God expresses his glory through us. That's why Jesus spent so much time praying for the church to be unified in, in, in uh his last prayers for the disciples in the upper room in John 15, 16, and, and this powerful stuff. And, and I came across this quote this week. You know, one of the reasons why we need to be interdependent with one another as we serve in the name of Christ, why we need to be serving through the body of Christ. It's because no one of us is capable of expressing the full possibilities of grace in isolation. You just can't. You by yourself out as an island trying to work in the name of God has no ability to be able to express the full potential of the grace of God. You just can't do it in isolation. It's a team sport. You can't you, you know, just like you can't play tennis by yourself. Well, I guess technically you could. If you hit the ball high enough in the air, you could run over and jump over the net, go back. You, you know, you wouldn't last very long. I mean, it's a te- it's something you're going to do. It's, it's something you do together. That's the way faith is. Every single one of the gifts is important in changing the world for Christ. <clears throat> I want you to see something else from this text. Our service has two takes shape in one of two major forms. Notice what he says here. He says, if anyone speaks, his speech should be like the oracles of God. If anyone serves, his, speech should be, his service should be from the grace, from the strength God provides. Our service is basically going to be broken down into one of two ways. What we say, what we do. Pretty, pretty specific, isn't it? But also very general. You can preach. You can teach. You can pray for others. You can offer a word of encouragement. You can share your faith with other people. Your speech, what you say, or as you serve. Notice he doesn't characterize, he doesn't narrow it down. It's just what you do. It could run the gamut between cleaning bathrooms to serving in an orphanage and everything in between. It takes all kinds of things to make the kingdom go forward. It's interesting that in Acts chapter 6, he, the the, the, apostle, the church is struggling. It's grown and the ministries aren't functioning at, at peak performance and some people kind of getting neglected and the, the, the apostles are trying to figure out how to, how to adjust to that growing need and they decide that they should, they should elect or appoint a different layer of leadership that most people have called deacons. And in that discussion, it says, you know, it's not, it's not appropriate for us to neglect the, the preaching ministry in order to wait on tables. Do you know that in scripturally, in the Greek, the same root word is used for both the preaching ministry, the idea of ministry of serving, and the word waiting. They're both service. They're rooted in the idea of service. In the eyes of God, they're the same. They're, all of it's important. Our service will find its way to shape itself out either through what we do or what we say. I also think it's very important for you and I to understand that our ministry happens in two primary arenas. One is in our roles. You're a father or a mother, a husband or a wife, you're a son or a daughter, you're an employer, and an employee, you're a neighbor. You, know, you have all kinds of roles in life. And our service happens through those roles. And it should. But also, there's ways in which we serve through our giftedness. And with that, there's, there's ways that we connect in ministry through the body of Christ or through the extended body of Christ. And so our ministry, this giftedness that God's placed within us, is expressed not just through, through our roles, the way we love our wives, the way we, we care for our children, the way that we work with our neighbors, the way we take care of our parents, so the list just kind of goes on and on. It's all of those things, but it's also finding that way in which, which God's giftedness, He's place within us, is expressed in the body of Christ. The reason I emphasize that, we, we live in an age in which so many people are, you know, they, they, they think, you know I, I'm so busy with all of my roles between work and between home and between extended family and my children and etc. You know, I, I, there's just so much stuff going on. I mean, I, I you know, I get home from work and I got to cut the grass and then I got to take my kid to ukulele lessons and the list just kind of goes on and on. And I got no time for anything else. And so I'm just trying to be good in my roles. I don't believe scripturally that's enough. I think God has given you giftedness that is designed to be expressed through the body of Christ in some form or another. And you need to be in a ministry if you're going to be thriving well in your journey. Some of you may not exactly know exactly which that ministry is and I hope you'll keep an eye out in the next few weeks. We're going to be... unleashing a class that we've taught before here called shape which is really designed to kind of help you find your place of ministry as you explore your your abilities and personalities and experience and your spiritual giftedness and et cetera, and kind of get into all that place i want you to see as well that through service we grow spiritually see the only way you and i can be used of god to change the world is if god's changing us and the way we get changed is through spiritual growth Notice what he says here. He says, you know, if you if you're going to speak, you better be speaking the words of God. If you're going to serve, you better not be doing it for the thanks that you get from the church, but you ought to be doing it from the strength that God provides. All of those just drive you into dependence on God, and they grow you spiritually. Ministry will and should stretch you and cause you to grow in Christ. It's not just sitting back, oh, you know, it's easy for you, pastor. You know, you went to school, and you got all this training and et and it's, you know, it, it's not. I mean, you know, I, I get stretched probably more than you do, despite the fact that I get to do this full time. I can remember when I was in college, I was invited to preach at a little mission church in Candy, New Hampshire. They had lost their church planter, and they were hoping to find another, and they just needed a couple of months' window in the summer to to see if they could find somebody, and they couldn't. So that was the first church I killed. And... um, and I remember I was, so I was preaching there through the summer and, and the, it was an interesting setting you know they they were they were fixing the, they were meeting in the school they were fixing the school kitchen, so they moved everything out of the kitchen into the cafeteria slash gym and so we set up chairs in the middle of all these pots and pans whatever just like totally you know totally surrounded and there was only like ten or twelve fifteen of us you know and, and so i'm i 'm doing my best to to preach something that made a difference and I had no idea what I was doing and but after one of the services, this guy came to me and he said. So there's a woman who's come to this church off and on over the last, you know, year or so. And um Mother of three, and she tried to commit suicide. She's in the hospital. I think you should go see her. So, on my way home that afternoon to go back to Massachusetts to get ready for work, the next day I stopped by and saw her. And what does a 21 year twenty-one-year-old kid say to a mother of three who's just trying to, t- just having tried to take her life? Yeah, I got to tell you, the whole way there, riding up in the elevator, walking to the room, I'm saying, "Lord, give me words to share." Lord, give me words to share. It'll stretch you spiritually. I started pastoring in Hanover. Now I had lots of theological education under my belt. I was was a mature 26-year-old, you know. And I I was ready to go. And um, and we had this family that started attending our church down in, in Hanover. And... Over a long period of time, working back and forth with doctors, um, and finally just, just getting nowhere, they just went into children's hospital and said, we're we're staying here until you figure out what's the matter with this child. And before the day got over, the, their 14-month-old baby boy was diagnosed with a brain tumor. It had grown out of his, his, his optic nerve on his right side, and literally had grown all the way to the back of his head, and it was about as big as a sausage going all the way back. You know, he's only 14 months old, family from Catholic background. The grandmother gets there. The, the, mother, uh, the grandmother of the child gets there that evening. She's at the hospital, and, and she looks at me, and she says, don't you think we ought to get this child baptized? Roman Catholic background, kid may die, not, bat- baptized, you know, not baptized, going to hell kind of idea. All the theological training in the world doesn't prepare you for that response. And I can remember standing there in the doorway, facing her, facing her literally across the doorway, and just, just praying silently, Lord, just give me words. And what came out of my mouth was not what I was thinking. What came out of my mouth was, "This child is as much in the grace of God as he's ever going to get." That wasn't what I was thinking. That's what came out. See, when when you serve, it puts you in a place. I mean, you, you, it, if you think that you get in a place, you get you're serving, and you get in a place where you're uncomfortable, you're unsure of yourself, you're not sure you can do it. That, that's exactly the way you should feel, because then you're reaching out to God. If, if you're just doing the stuff that's easy, that comes natural, you know. You're not, you're not getting stretched. When we serve well, God gets glorified. Notice what he says at the end. So that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. When we serve in God's strength, when we serve well in what we say and what we do through the body of Christ, God gets glorified. My challenge to you today is to serve. Find a place to serve. If you're not currently serving, find a place to serve. You're not making a lifetime commitment. You sign up to help out with children's ministry and you're in there for a couple of months and you say, this isn't for me. We'll find you another place to serve. There's lots of places to serve. We've tried to be creative. There's a long list out there. There's a place where you just go by and you can just write down your name and what you think you're interested in and and we'll follow up with you. But find a way to serve. Use the prayer guides this week to pray. Because I want to tell you, I think I know your guys' heart. I know most of you very well. Your desire is to be a ch- part of a congregation that God really uses to change the world. If we're going to be that kind of church, we've got to serve, and we've got to serve well. Let's pray together. God, there are times I think it would have been a whole lot easier if you just swept in with the angels and changed everything directly. But God, you've chosen in your great wisdom to do it through us. That makes me nervous, but it also makes me hopeful. God, thank you that the way that you've always changed the world is through the service of your people. God, find us faithful as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.